someone that you probably never met before. And I'm gonna guess the vast majority of us uh, do not know Glenn very well. We maybe heard his name. But I first ran across uh, Glenn when I first came here. Glenn, what? Where are you, Glenn? Right here. What year was that that you planted? Uh, 99. So I came here in 99. My first year, first time we went to an annual meeting, they called up church planters, and I remember Glenn coming up, and how old were you then, Glenn? <laughs> Twelve. Twelve, all right. You can't believe, now you know how much you can believe in what he tells you this morning. <laughs> so, anyway, here's a guy who was a, who was a policeman in, was it Fond du Lac? And was church playing. I just thought that was the coolest thing. Because I remember when he walked up there, I thought, this guy's going to be able to relate to people outside the church. And that's just something about my heart, because that's my heartthrob, is that the church would be relevant outside of its walls. And so I remember uh, just seeing him and Susan get up, and I just thought, you know, that this is going to be a good thing. And it was. It was a very good thing. Then they uh, were called to Panama and worked with a multi-ethic uh, group down there, church planting, and uh, Glenn will mention a little bit about that. Then came back and worked with the, on our national team with missions, and then ended up here last year. Yeah, last year. And so it's been just a real privilege, and uh, Ken Nabby is our, is our Great Lakes president and served in uh, served for many years in, in Converge. And I was excited about that. And then when I heard Glenn was coming on board, I was just so excited that he was going to be part of our team. And I mentioned this first service, but you know, to me the most important thing about someone is, is not even what they do, but who they are. And I, I'm just really thankful for, I mentioned first service. Uh, some people you just know there's, I just have a deep sense of integrity with, with Glenn and his ministry and who he is as a person. And so I just have a lot of confidence in, in your presence in this district. And uh, God's going to bless uh, the church planning movement in Great Lakes. I'm excited to see. We're kind of stepping out of the box and thinking about how we can plant more churches. And church planning is, is no uh, strange topic to this congregation. So I just want to thank all of you who have been involved in stepping out in, in many ventures and not to mention our, our most recent one with Casey and Jen. So I'm going to invite Glenn up and uh, invite him to share with us this morning the words that he has for us. First service, uh, Pastor Kim said he trusted me with his life. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but... <laughs> Well, it's an honor for uh, my wife and I to be here. Um, I'm just rounding the corner of being in this role for a year. And uh, you don't know me, but one of the things that you should know about me is I love the Lord with all my heart. Um, man, he's been so faithful over the years, and I'm just in awe of who he is. Second thing is I love the local church, and we are severely messed up, aren't we? Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, I messed up. <laughs> and, and, and don't be pointing each other. 
The other thing uh, is I love my family. And uh, my oldest, uh, they all lived in the Twin Cities. So when Ken offered me this job, I said, well, can I live anywhere? And I didn't know anything about Hudson, except we drove past Hudson on our way to drop off our kids to college. I didn't even know Hudson, Wisconsin had a downtown. And uh, our kids said, well, Hudson would be a nice place to live. So we moved there because all three of our kids lived in the Twin Cities. And we have five grandbabies. How sweet is that, grandparents? And uh, about two months ago, my oldest and three of her grandbabies moved to Dallas. What's up with that? Anyway, I'm a little bitter, but I'm, I know I'm forgiven. Okay. I want to talk to you this morning about living on mission and be mobilized to go. And thank you, Pastor Kim and Vicki, you know, just for welcoming us in. And I always appreciate when a pastor trusts me with their pulpit because I could severely mess things up today. <laughs> But what I want you to think about today is that God wants to use you, and it's a new day. It's 2018. Aren't you, aren't you grateful for that? And I don't know how much crazier 2018 can be, but 2017 was really crazy. And uh, Converge has been around for 160 years. You know, many of you know it as the Baptist General Conference, started by Swedish immigrants that, that migrated to the United States for freedom, looking for opportunities, and God touched them in such a way that they started planting churches. And so now today, from coast to coast, I think we're in 46 states, we have 1,300, uh, 1300 churches, and we're 32% multi-ethnic. So it's not just a bunch of Swedes. After World War II, they stopped speaking in Swede Swedish. They started speaking in English. And then about 10 years ago, 8, eight 9, 10 years ago, we changed the name to Converge because it gave us more opportunity to partner with other Christ-centered organizations to impact the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It just opened up more opportunities. And so uh, I did some mission work, and so if the Lord is planting a seed related to missions and what that may look like, my wife and I, Susan, we ran our missionary assessment, and uh, we, we kind of know the, the right questions to ask. And so working in cooperation with our 126 churches in this district, I want to strengthen our mission focus and strengthen and plant more churches. And you'll find out why by the end of the message. And Pastor Kim said, Packers aren't playing, so I have two hours. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. We have a lot of desires, don't we? New, new era, new, you know, new year, first week. 2018. What do you desire? What's your heart desire? Look at the list up here. And you add to those. You may go, that doesn't really uh, touch me. But how many of those align with what God desires? And what God desires for you? Let me ask you a follow-up question. Have you, ever have you ever contemplated what God desires? Because I think we go to God a lot and we tell him what we desire. By the way, you can be very verbal with me, which means you can say amen. <laughs> what if our heart isn't aligned with what God desires? Like even one degree off, would that cause you to sit up straight? 
I love Psalm 37, 4. It says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Don't think that means that he's going to give you everything you want. There's a big difference. What it's really talking about is how God transforms your heart desires to align with God's desires, which is so much better than what we desire. Amen? Now, I'm hearing ladies say amen. And, and all six of you are really enthusiastic, but come on, men. Uh, you can't cheer. You know, you can cheer in church. Anyway, all right. My second services always begin a little uh, squirrely, so if that offends you, well, I'm not coming back next week. I think it's important that we engage God in such a way that we know his heart, we understand his heart, and when we do that, we see great works of God and what he does and what only he can do. And God's desire, if you don't know this, his desire is that people would know him, that would meet him and follow him. Did you know that? Isn't that the whole reason why Christ came in the first place? We're a bunch of sinners. We can't save ourselves, and certainly no one can save yourself or one another and we need this perfect redeemer and God desires that we would share him with others let me say that again God's desire is that you would share him with others so when pastor Kim he didn't do it in the first service so you threw me off today when you said how many of you shared the gospel with someone what was there 12 people yes yes we're not doing it enough in this culture. And I'm not here to guilt you. This is a guilt-free zone. Don't feel any guilt, okay? Say, okay. Yeah, you don't believe me. That's all right. <laughs> Evangelism is just sharing the good news about Jesus Christ with other people. And Paul said, I mean, we are all called to be evangelists. What do you think of when I say the word evangelist? He's 99 or 100 years old. Billy Graham. I'm like, I can't be Billy Graham. You're not supposed to be Billy Graham. Just be yourself. Be who you are. Find those areas that you are passionate about and invite people that don't know Christ into those areas of interest that you already have. It's that simple. Well, let me talk about church planting. Church planting is, is really simply just telling people about Jesus Christ and helping them to grow in discipleship. Your church was planted 40 years ago. Did you know that? How many of you were here for that opening Sunday? It's possible. Looking around, huh, not a one. Bless them though, right? They toiled, they gave, they built, they spread the news. Tim Keller writes, a vigorous and continuous approach to church planting is the only way to guarantee the increase in the number of believers and is one of the best ways to renew the whole body of Christ. Your church actually gets stronger when you send out Casey and Jen. Because now, who's the next Casey and Jen? By the way, the row that we sat in over there, my wife's over there, my aunt, over there, right in the front row, before these three lovely ladies came in, there was a bunch of boys. Whose boys are those? You got all of them, and they're buddies, right? Okay. I'm going to pause in my message and just say something about church planting. Thank you for being in the front row. Thank you. Church, we have to pour our life, our resources 
into boys like that and girls. When I go around, I don't know if you have a WANA or Pioneers or whatever kids program, we should be investing in such a way that you're planting seeds so they become the next missionaries and the next church planters and the next pastors. I can't emphasize that enough. Did you hear me? I was one of those squirrely little boys. And why did I get in law enforcement? Because I didn't want to get arrested. <laughs> it's true. I thought, hey, if I could be on the other side, then I don't know, I won't get in trouble. Well, that, I could tell you stories anyway. <laughs> Romans ten fourteen says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? I'm talking about Jesus. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? There are 6,600 people groups that are unreached, least reached, unengaged in the world today. These are ethnic people groups. Some of those people groups are actually coming now to the United States, but not a lot of them. And so what are we going to do? There's only about 13% of Americans that attend church on a given Sunday. Let that sink in, 13%. What are we doing to try to reach those people out there? Because they're not going to come in here until we go out there and we get them in a good way. Charles Spurgeon, he said, uh, as a Christian, you're either a missionary or you're an imposter. So one of the things that I want to emphasize today and remind you that if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, then you're on mission every second of every day. And it's easy to get distracted by fill in the blank. Romans 10, 15, verse 10, uh, chapter 10, verse 15, it goes on and says, And how are they to preach unless they are sent? You're sending Casey and Jen out. They're going to reach people that don't know about Jesus in Marshfield, Wisconsin. Way to go, church. Some of you sitting here today, I am convinced of it. Some of you have the call of missionary service and the call of pastoral ministry and the call to be sent out. You're sitting here today hearing my voice and you know it and you just haven't responded yet. And God's tapping on your shoulder once again. What are you waiting for? Charles Spurgeon, well, it continues, actually. How beautiful are, are the feet of those who preach the good news, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. We don't save anyone. We're fisher of men. Fishers of men, right? So I remember going to Ecuador on our mission trips when we were in uh, Lake Mills, the church we planted, and we had people say, what took you so long to come? That's a humbling comment, isn't it? Like there are people waiting to hear the gospel and how beautiful it is when they hear the gospel. Do you remember hearing the gospel? How liberating that is? Does that ever get old for you? That you're forgiven? Look at the songs we sing. We can sing that and we mean it. They're not just lyrics. Church planting is a component of the Great Commission and this is God's desire. We find God's desire in the Great Commission. This is the Great Commission. Jesus is just about to leave this planet. He's talking to his disciples, 
And he's talking to us today, 2,000 plus years later, and he's saying the same thing, and it hasn't changed. This is our mission. In chapter uh, 28, verses 18 to 20, it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Friends, he's passing that authority on to us. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And behold, I'm with you to the end of the age. A couple of things that jump out at me is we are just called to go. When I was talking to people at our church in Lake Mills saying, hey, you should go on a short-term mission trip because it's going to change your life. And they're like, well, I need to pray about it. That is Christian slang for saying, I'm not even going to think about it because I don't want to have my life disrupted. You know what I'm talking about? Truth of the matter is we're all called to go. And what does that look like? And I'm going to unpack that later in the message. But we're, we're called to go. And if you're not called to go, then you're called to send. And so we'll look at that. And we need to make disciples. Disciples. That's a higher bar that's raised instead of whatever it may look like. And the Great Commission is the calling, it's the command that Jesus gave every believer. He gave it to you and he gave it to me. And I love going to a lot of different churches, hearing messages, and I never get tired of hearing of Matthew 28 because that's what Jesus wants me to do and he wants me to be a part of it. It's your mission, it's, it's our purpose. You know, God created us to know him and to bring him glory. And one of the ways that we can bring him, him glory is to share his salvation, to make his salvation known. That brings great glory to God. And one of the ways you can make sure that you're increasing the number of Christians in a community is to increase the number of churches in the community. And I know what you're thinking. What? You mean plant another church? Out of this church? Can we do it? Well, leading missiologist C. Peter Wagner says this, planting new churches is the most effective evangelistic methodology known under heaven. Why is that? It's because generations, we change, don't we? My mom's 84, I'm in my 50s. We have a different generational perspective. You're in your teens. He does not think like me because he doesn't know things. His parents are like, I hate that guy. But here's a teen that's sitting in the front row. And what if God's calling him to plant a church when he's in his 20s? Huh. It's not a bunch of old guys that are doing this. If we don't raise up every generation, then we're missing it. Hundreds of churches close every year in our country. We're becoming less godly, less churched. And I believe that God doesn't want that for our culture as well as other cultures. And by the way, there's pockets of great works that are going on around the world. And you go, wow, God is doing amazing stuff. The Apostle Paul, who many of you know, probably not personally, but through his writings, uh, was probably one of the greatest church planters that we know that we can like, wow, he's really done some great works that continue today. But, you know, he didn't start out that well, did he? 
And here's what I want to remind you, because I remind me of myself too, because I am a sinner saved by grace. It's not where you start. It's how you finish. And so some of you may sit there and go, oh, God could never use me because look at the baggage that I have or I come from this family or I've got this addiction or whatever it may be. And let's face it, we all have problems. Amen? Amen? I think that's what unifies us. It's like, you know what, I'm not any bigger than you and you're not any bigger than me. And you know what, we better lock arms and figure this out together. But you know, Paul started out terribly. And uh, if you have your Bible, you can turn to Acts 7. I'm just going to jump down real quickly. But we have the, the story of stoning Stephen. Stephen was a remarkable boy. I can't wait to get to heaven to talk to Stephen. We don't know much about Stephen, but man, I just love this guy. And in verse 58 of chapter 7, it says, And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul, who's later named turned to Paul. God gave him a new name and a new identity. But in law enforcement, we would call that a party to the crime, which means he's equally as guilty as actually committing the crime. So how many of you have been party to a crime? Don't raise your hand. When we planted in Lake Mills, uh, I was bivocational, so I got hired part-time by a guy that hired me or was part of my hiring process in Green Lake County Sheriff's Department. But he was the reason why I left Green Lake County Sheriff's Department to get to Fond du Lac, because he hated my guts. So now we go to plant this church in Lake Mills. He's the police chief in Lake Mills. He actually hires me. God works in mysterious ways. I became the court officer. Not, don't, don't, it's not impressive. But I'm sitting there after eight years of doing this part-time, and people from the church, they were coming to court. You know you sinners and criminals. And I had people, I had people say, good morning, pastor. And I'm in full uniform. I'm like, okay, I need to quit that job. <laughs> okay. It's not how you, it's not how you start. Look at, look at Paul. People knew his reputation. It doesn't matter that people may know your reputation. God knows who you are and how he's transforming you. Now we, in chapter 9 of Acts, we have the conversion of Saul. He's blind, remember that? Three days, can't go anywhere without assistance, depending upon the Lord. In fact, when the Lord calls out to him, he actually knows who's talking to him. And so again, this reputation, it's slowly spreading. There's no Facebook back then. No email, there's no chat. It's like word of mouth, and that, you listen to that. Saul uh, in, in Jerusalem now in verse 26 of chapter 9, and now the word's getting out. We know he's called to go there. And then in verse 31 it says, So the church throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. All of a sudden, Saul is not on his high horse dragging Christians out of the services to beat them and kill them and throw them in prison. And there's an element of peace and the whole church, the early church is being built up. Friends, I'm telling you, I am so excited with Ken Nabby and his emphasis on church strengthening, our national office, who's working with churches, existing churches, 40 years, 50 years, 150 years, to continue to make an impact in their community. And there's a way to do it. 
And so there's some good things that are happening. But being built up, individuals should be built up. And I don't care what age you are. We should be built up, equipped to be sent out. It says, And walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit it multiplied. Don't you love that? I think we need a healthy fear of the Lord. But we're comforted by the Holy Spirit because we know we're being obedient to what he's called us to. And then there's multiplication. That is God's desire. By the way, five grandbabies? I wish we had ten grandbabies because they're so fun. See, healthy families multiply, right? And this is a healthy family. You're multiplying. This is not your first work of church planting, is it? So how exciting is that? In uh, Acts uh, 16.5, it says, So the churches were strengthened in faith, and they increased in the numbers daily. Friends, I want to encourage you, look at this 21 days. This is 2018. Look at this 21 days. Arrange your schedule. Start fasting and I love the idea of social fasting because that's such a distraction for me personally. Physical, food, water. I don't fast from water, but food. But coming together as a family to be strengthened to say, let's start praying about the next church plant. Let's start praying. Like, like maybe there's four or five of you that are going to come in here and you're going to start praying for each chair that's vacant for 21 days, nonstop. And it's not out of your work, by the way. It's not out of your work. It's out, I need to hear what God wants me to do. What about your routine of going to Quick Trip every morning, getting that cup of coffee, instead of paying at the pump, you go in and say, hey, hi, how are you? And when it's not too busy, hey, is there anything I can pray for you about? Wait staff, it's an amazing thing to see when you ask wait staff, hey, are you the owner? They always laugh. No, I'm not the owner. Are you the manager? No. <laughs> What's your dream? Well, then they get serious. And at the end of the day, you give them a really nice tip, like blow their mind tip. And they say, hey, can I pray for you? You may never see them again. So it's little things to take time in our busy schedule to show people you care that you're going to serve them. Now, as Paul grew in his faith, as we all grow in our faith, all of a sudden you, you get transformed in your desire and you, you are aligned with God's desire. And that happened to Paul. And so he had a shift when he came into a new community. And we find out what his shift was. In, uh, shift was. in 1 Corinthians 9.19 it says, For though I am free from all... Now, by the way, he understood... Uh, legalism probably much better than we did. I mean, the epitome of legalism in, in that faith community of Judaism. I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. It's this idea of serving your neighbors. Is that my phone? Okay, sorry. Um, easily distracted. Is that yours? There's something business. Oh, okay, sorry, it is me my son. Thought I shut that off. Okay. You're easily distracted, I can tell. Okay. But to be a servant, you know, we're not getting much snow where we live right now, but when we're getting snow, I'm, personally, I'm just trying to make the extra effort to serve my neighbors and to engage them and talk to them. It's an amazing thing just 
pausing our busy schedule to engage our neighbors who they drive in their driveway just like you and I do, open the garage door, pull in and shut it, and we don't have any communication. In verses 20 to 23, it says, he says, to the weak I become weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people that by all means I might save some, and I do it for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessing. Now, one of the things I know about this is we're coming down, we stopped in Menominee, got a bagel, got some coffee, and there's two Dunn County Sheriff's deputy. And I do this all over the world, literally. I can go up to any police officer and I can give them a hard time and I can even say things like, hey, the, the donut break is over. <laughs> and they look at me like, what did you just say to me? I didn't say that this morning, by the way. But I engaged them. And I just said, how are you doing? Are you just starting your shift? Or no, I said, are you just finishing your shift? And uh, they said, no, we're just starting. And so then I said, I'm retired. And, we, you know, we just kind of have that pleasantries. Here's my point. I can speak that. I can become weak to them. Now, if you had a Harley guy with tats and leathers and all that, and I've got friends like that, I, I can't speak into that. I can't speak into that. But maybe you can. Maybe it's scrapbooking. Probably not. I'm just kidding. You get the idea. Find your affinity and leverage that. I, I know it doesn't look like it, but I've raced bicycles for 20 years. I've taken a few years off. But I'm looking at how do I engage that culture that's very individualistic, they're elitist, and they think they're God's gift to whatever, the athletic world. But I can penetrate that world. So find that, you know, whether it's hunting or shooting or whatever it may be. Become weak to those people. And Paul is presenting this gospel accurately and calling communities to repentance and surrender and a relationship to God. And Jesus is going to use a whole lot of people to accomplish his will. And he's not just building a church, the church, on one single person. He uses all of us, and I believe he's going to use some of you. Consider some of the facts about church planting. This is Tim Keller now. New churches best reach new generations, new residents, and new people groups. Now, sometimes we get away from things, but remember the welcome wagon? Come on now, you remember that? You'd move into a community and somebody would come up with a basket and gift certificates and all that. I don't know if that still happens. We did that in Lake Mills. We get the new hookups from the city government and then we'd send them a card and we'd send them a gift and we'd say, hey, you know, if you're looking for a new church, here you go. I don't know how many churches are doing that today, but you could do that. Young adults are disproportionately found in newer congregations. There's something about a new work where it attracts the younger people. And so that's why we need to continue to do that. New residents are always better reached in new congregations. My son and daughter that moved to Dallas, now he likes... Um, I just lost the guy's name. But anyway, they moved into a community and they're getting plugged into a local church. And so we're so proud of them that they're doing that and going through membership classes and so forth. New racial groups in a community, if you're intentional about being multi-ethnic, new racial communities are reached if you emphasize that from the beginning. So it's who you have on the stage and are you even going to try to reach it? Now we're all very white here. I understand that. Not all of us and that's really good. Uh, but look at this photo here. This is 
uh, Diana De Leon. Her father got murdered in 2009 in Panama. And in 2013, the church was up and going for about a year. She came to church. I wasn't even preaching, but heard a message that something was planted in her soul. She came the next week. We engaged her. We said, hey, why don't you come over for dinner? We always do that because my wife's a great cook. And you could hear. You, you spend time and you just listen. You ask people questions about their life and they'll open up. Come to find out, she knew about God, but she didn't know God. Raised Catholic, actually went to a Baptist school, but never had this encounter. Never actually met Jesus in a personal way. And so we prayed with her. It's not about the prayer, but she surrendered her life, and then my wife is discipling her. And we're still connected today. And by the way, I didn't say this at the first service. Uh, she's in her early 30s, and she's single. <laughs> and her heart's desire is to find a godly man. And I know there's a lot of singles out there. They're praying for that as well. Second point is new churches best reach unchurched people, period. You know, there's dozens of studies that denominations will, will do. Uh, 60 to 80% of new churches will reach people that are not attending any church. So when we moved into Lake Mills, I wrote a letter to all the pastors. There's 11 churches in Lake Mills. Now there's 12. And I just said, hey, we're coming to town. We're going to meet in the high school. We're not competition. We don't want any of your people. We'll create our own problems, thank you. We don't want your problems. <laughs> And God opened that door, and over time, there was trust that was built, and it made an impact even on those existing churches that had been there for a long time. They started changing things because they realized, wow, this new church is reaching people. Maybe we need to adjust some of the things that we do and practices and traditions. And again, you don't change a gospel message. But there is a way to reach new people, and we have a different generation now. The average congregation will bring six to eight times more people into the body, uh, the life of the body, than older congregations at same size. So think about those statistics. Converge starts churches, but we also strengthen churches. And it's really a mistake to think you have to choose one or the other. It's both and. Healthy churches reproduce. Healthy churches reproduce. You send out missionaries, and you plant churches, and you send out pastors. That's pretty exciting, isn't it? I'm very humbled to tell you that I didn't always have that perspective until we went to Panama, and there's, there was an American church on the Panama Canal called Crossroads, and it was really 80% Panamanian, but the pastor's an American. He would preach in English, but there would be Spanish and, and uh, Spanish and English. And when I developed a relationship, his name is Steve Gunn, great guy, went to Wheaton College, um, I said, you know, it's just hard going. There's only about 70,000 English speakers, expats, in Panama City of a community of 1,300,000. And so he gave me the pulpit, and he let me recruit out of the pulpit. Say what? You mean like you're opening the, the door? Because he understood much better than I did the kingdom perspective. None of you are Pastor Kim's property, right? 
And so when someone leaves, like a good person, a good servant leaves, you're like, oh, but God seems to always raise up those people most of the time. And so this idea of, hey, could we plant a church in the neighboring community? Think about that. Someone answered the call to plant this church 40 years ago. I'm on mission for the Lord. I'll go wherever you want me to go, and I'll share the gospel, wherever you want me to share. We came out of Final Act Community Church. Paul Johnson started that in the, I think, late 70s. We got married in 84. After we got married, that's where we started to attend. And then we were sent out as church planters. I'm in law enforcement. Thank you. I'm enjoying what I'm doing. Don't bother me. I'm not going to plant churches. Like I had guys at the junior high school I was at, oh, you should be a pastor sometime. And I said, no, I will never do that. (laughs) True story. Church planting is not plan B of the Great Commission. It's not plan B. It's God's plan for all of us. Now let me ask you a question as we close here this morning. Do you have a desire to be used by God in 2018? Don't raise your hand. Answer it in your mind. Do you want 2018 to be better than 2017? I think it starts with some practical things. I don't care how old you are. I don't know what your schedule is, but you have a great opportunity to start praying 21 days of prayer to say, Lord, this is the first month of 2018. What are the next 11 months going to look like? So here are some next steps. Next steps. Each one, reach one. Each one, reach one. Say that with me. Each one, reach one. What does that mean? It means go across your yard. Go across the street. Help someone shovel. You know, bake cookies for someone. If you see someone stuck on the ditch, you know, stop and lend a hand. Jesus reached across the cosmos to us. No holds barred. He just went for it, being obedient to his Father to rescue us. And if we have this mindset, each one, I can do one thing. I could do one thing this year. And so as you raised your hand about sharing the gospel, continue that. And let that not be pressure on you to share your faith, but let the Holy Spirit lead you into sharing faith with people that you work with, that you associate with, that you do business with. I, got, I went to the chiropractor the other day, and uh, Ben is my chiropractor. His wife, Lauren, actually is a much better chiropractor than he is, but that's another thing. But I engaged them and started talking to them about faith. And he said, hey, what are you doing this week? I'm going to Bethany to preach the Word of God. Don't be shy about that. Acts 1.8, this is, I hope you hear this. But you, say you, you will receive power. It's not you. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses. In a court of law, guess what witnesses do? They open their mouth and they testify. They're proclaiming the word of God. That's what witnesses in God's world does in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Jerusalem, your Jerusalem is your region. Judea is the expanse where you expand your witness in Marshfield. Samaria, cross-cultural ministry, maybe right where you are. And the ends of the earth, cross-cultural ministry far away. So many opportunities. Each one reach one. The next one is each one plant one. Each one plant one. Well, go plant a church. Now, maybe you're not the person that starts it, but maybe you're part of the team. 
But maybe you are the one that starts it. And how are you going to know this? Well, in the next 30 days, you're, you're not going to be able to think of anything else. Like, I'm supposed to do this. First see your pastor, and then your pastor's going to say, go talk to Glenn. And I'm happy to talk to you. Related to missions or church planting. Maybe God wants you to be a part of that. So I said this in the first service. Jen and Casey are going to need a whole lot of help. And as they are developing their launch team and they actually set a date and launch in sometime 2018, probably in the fall, they're going to need nursery workers for a season. And it could be a month. I mean, you say, hey, Pastor Kim, can I go over there and drive 45 minutes and help them? And then it's the connections because you're not that far away. All of a sudden, hey, I know someone. Maybe it's being a greeter. Maybe it's baking some, you know, some uh, bakery goods or whatever. Think out of the box. How can you help that church get a good start? And I'll, in two weeks, I'm at Marshfield, that faith community, giving this message, and I'll say the same thing. And I'm going to say, and Bethany committed they're going to send 100 people. <laughs> I know it's a lie, but I want to motivate them. Okay. Do you know how many counties we have in this state? Thank you. Thank you for listening to fourth grade geography. I'm praying that God would raise up a plant in all of our 72 counties in the next few years. We have 697 communities in this state that need a gospel, Christ-centered, new work. You know, the immigrants of 160 years ago, they were planting churches. I, go into, I drive all over this state in the UP and I see Catholic, I see Lutheran, I see Methodist, sprinkles of other denominations, and they're cathedrals. And you know what the sad thing is? A lot of them are now museums. But the cool thing is God is repurposing some of those existing buildings and now they're gospel-centered congregations in those existing churches because you can buy them for like 10 grand. It's amazing what God is doing. Bethany... I'm so proud of you that you're sending out Casey and Jen. Now, let's just average. Let's just think of a church size of 200. Church sizes of 200 that's smaller than the average in America because it's under 100. Could sustain a pastor, could get a facility, and so forth. Schofield has a population of how much? How many? Okay, I'll tell you. 2,100. The metro area has about 65,000. Okay. Marathon County has 134,000. We need a total of 327 churches just to reach this metro area. Do you have that? Probably not. You need 670 churches needed for just Marathon County alone. Do you see the work ahead of us? So if you start looking at the young people, and by the way, it's not young people because the, the boomers are retiring at such a staggering amount and they have income, and you want them in your church because they'll give. Not a bad thing to say that. Casey and Jen need to be praying for those people. Because millennials don't tithe, they tip. <laughs> but assisted facilities, you know, assisted living facilities, things like that, can we start focusing on that people group that are in desperate need of the gospel and maybe closer to eternity than maybe we are? You're going to spend eternity in two places. It's one or the other. Each one, reach one. When I was in uh, uh, Orlando, every day 
at staff meeting, we would pray for missionaries that were on the calendar and pastors, whatever it may be. And we would always pray, and it would take about 15 minutes as, as a staff to pray. And so before staff meeting one day, I was in my office, and it just dawned on me, we have 1,300 churches in Converge U.S. I need to be praying that each one of those churches would send out a missionary. That would be 1,300 missionaries. Could you imagine that? So can you start praying that of our 126 churches, that we would raise up a church planter, a missionary, a new staff person? Could you, could you add that to your prayer list in the next 21 days to, to start praying for not only this church but all the other churches? Because we're together, you know. We really are linked as family. And we're looking to make disciples. And, you know, when I, when I multiply that out, that's 625 workers that we need in the next five years. I think God can do that. Glenn and Ken cannot. Bethany alone cannot. But God can. And if we expect great things from God, we'll see great things from God. Next one is each one send one, which means financial. Okay? God so loved the world that he gave everything. We have a generous God. We need to be generous. And I don't know what that looks like, but Jen, and I always say Jen first. I don't know why. Is she here today? Oh, that's because she made an impact on me. Because she gives me a hard time all the time. I don't know why. Okay. So Casey and Jen, I'm, I'm done saying that. Okay. They need some financial support. And it could be a season. It's not forever. It's not like purgatory. It'd stay there forever. But it's like three to five years. The churches, I'm sure, supporting it. But what are the churches that they're going to birth? I'm going to pick on my aunt for a minute. But she's the one family member that has financially given... And not billions, but she has faithfully given over the years from church planting to pastoring in Panama, missionary work, even to this role now. And I'm so grateful. And so thank you. Such an honor. Now I'll probably get yelled at at lunch because I pointed her out. But. So send one when the Holy Spirit leads and the amount that you should, should give. And the last one is each one pray for one. Start praying, Lord, bring someone into my life. Lord, raise someone up that can be sent out, that I can be a part of. Diane Rindall from Cambridge, Wisconsin, you'll never meet her until we get to heaven. She prayed for 11 years that there would be a church in her area. And six miles north of Cambridge is a little town called Lake Mills, and that's where we planted. And when she came, she said, you're an answer to my prayer. Think about that being multiplied out. That in Marshfield, people are praying for a new work in the new neighborhood that they're going to plant. Look at this guy. You don't know him either, and you probably will meet him in heaven. For 17 years, I, I prayed for this guy. His wife and two daughters came to church. Uh, he would come to Christmas and Easter, you know, those folks. And I just... And it's not me, so just hear this. I didn't look at Peter as a project, like I have to save him. You know what I'm talking about? I just was his friend, and, and at times it was rough. And he is now a brother in Christ. But if there wasn't a church in Lake Mills planted, how would Peter have ever known? His wife was going to another church and, and never heard the gospel. 
And on March 8th of this year, this past year, he gave his life to Christ. And he's in the church we planted, going through discipleship classes. He and I talk on a regular basis. I'm asking him what he's reading, what he's praying about. He's a truck driver, and it's a hard life, hard life. And God used many people to see that man come to faith in Christ. And he's going to use you too if you're just willing and available and open. So why don't we stand as we close? I start out by talking about Psalms 37.4. Delight yourself in the Lord. He is so worthy of our delight. So worthy. He'll change the desires of your heart. In 2018, what if God changed your heart that, that allowed your heart to become more like his heart? And it's an awesome heart, isn't it? Doesn't our Lord have an awesome heart? And I don't know about you, but as the older I get, I just want to be more like Jesus in everything I do, everything I say. And I'm, I'm doing pretty good today. Let me pray for you. Lord, help us to discern your desire in these next steps. In 2018, as Bethany embarks on 21 days of prayer, Lord, could it be that you've planted fruitfulness in February and March and April and the months to come? Help us to mission to be mobilized to go. Going across the yard, Whatever you want us to do, Lord, we're saying we're willing to go. Help us to have your heart for lost people. Lord, I love what Philippians 1, 4 to 7 says. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of your faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brothers and sisters. The hearts of the saints have been refreshed. And everyone said, Have a great Sunday. God bless you. Hey.